1: That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Welcome to Planet Tour, where we who tell stories rule this world. My name is Yuck Nasty, and I will be your guide into our world that's filled with sights and sounds, both wonderful and frightening. And the first story of the night is by Thomas Carey White. And it's called Remarks of Counselor Pierre Aubon, Sessions of the Noble Council, May 28th, Year of Our Lord,
3: 2017. Remarks of Counselor Pierre Aubon, Session of the Noble Council, May 28th, Year of Our Lord, 2017. By Thomas Carey White. Welcome, everyone. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Secretary, Knight Senators, honored warfighters, fellow citizens. Before I begin with my opening remarks, I would like to lead everybody in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of Vespuccia and to the empire for which it stands and to the canon that we uphold And to the God that we serve, one nation, one people, one king, and one purpose of security and justice for all. Thank you, thank you. I know that this is a difficult time for all of us. Three days ago, Dr. Herman Phillips, esteemed advisor to the king, was convicted by the censorship board of high treason. I know this is hard to accept. Dr. Phillips was a role model for many of us, including myself. But ultimately, we have to accept the fact that the man we knew didn't exist. The treasonous and blasphemous pamphlets discovered in his attic must speak for themselves. In them, he imagines what he called an alternate history, a bizarre world where the new world was discovered by Europe in 1492. He lays out the horrifying implications as just monarchy is overtaken worldwide by mob rule and primitive democracy. Our own compassionate levelism is replaced by brutal capitalism, and countries are unified worldwide by globe-spanning treaties. In other words, a world not unlike what the world would have been like had we lost the Cold War to the Ottoman Republic. I struggle to understand what was going through his mind at the time. He must be making a political point somehow, but I don't know what it is. Perhaps he sympathizes with the terrorists who continue to prevent us from deposing mob rule nations and bringing them to monarchy. Perhaps he has forgotten that despite the best efforts of our agency for human values, there are still places in the world where divorce is legal. Perhaps he has forgotten that we won the Cold War, that our ideas are ascendant everywhere, that they have been proven true in the process. Democracy is a barbarian ideology suitable only for the ancients. Perhaps he has forgotten the heritage of Western civilization, a proud monolith which has always advocated our values and could never be any other way but you know i understand dr phillips and the deplorables who still support him i can see why they believe what they do because it's tempting so tempting to believe in his wild fantasies oh he says we can abolish serfdom but let me ask you a question then who will make your house and car Perhaps he has forgotten that every economist agrees that serfdom is necessary for the modern economy. He says that we can all work together. When he promises an international cure to smallpox, a climate change agreement, a web of computers connecting everyone, an international council to settle disputes, it all sounds good, but humans don't work that way no matter how much the ideologues want it to be true. But, my fellow citizens, I think that this should be a moment, not of doubt, but of reaffirmation. Dr. Phillips would have you believe that history is a random drift, a free-for-all, a chaos, where the actions of individuals can change everything, where evil could win and everyone would find it normal. But he's wrong. We stand at the end of centuries of progress, thousands of great thinkers, and though they have had their misunderstandings, they have always been closing in on a single great truth. Every philosophical theory, everything we know about the world, confirms our actions, and those who disagree with us are on the wrong side of history. Dr. Phillips worries, worries constantly, that if we don't fight for what we believe in, we could lose it. But we fight because we have the truth, and the truth will always triumph. Thank you, and thank God that we live in the United States of Vespuccia, the greatest nation in the world.
2: Our next story for the night is by the extremely talented author, Jamie Lackey. This one is about a man that loses his way, but possibly gains it back. (laughs) You can decide. Here is For Your Time.
4: This is For Your Time by Jamie Lackey. The pamphlet arrives in your mailbox, sandwiched between the grocery store ads and the previous tenant's life insurance bill. The shiny, slick paper is thick between your fingers. Simple black letters on a dried blood background say, we will pay for your time. Inside, the explanation is long, scientific, boring. But the math is simple. They say they will take 30 years of your life, not including weekends or holidays. They'll take it in an instant and pay you for the whole thing. They don't explain how. The pamphlet doesn't cover what they do with your time once they have it. But the number is more than you'd make in 30 years anyway. Enough to pay off your student loans, your car, your mortgage, with more than enough after that to live on. You can finally take that cruise you've always dreamed of and you can quit your job. You're already selling that time at work anyway, right? And spending every minute of it miserable, wishing it was over. So you go and stand in line, behind a balding man in a suit, and in front of a woman in a long cotton skirt, who (sniffs) smells like patchouli. Now, no one speaks to the others. The line snakes around the block, and you shuffle forward, one step at a time. Your palms sweat. Think of the money, think of the money, think of the money. Once inside, a pretty technician smiles at you and hands you a form. It's shorter than you'd expect. There's no new information, only legal paraphrasing of the pamphlet, which you still have folded and stuffed into your pocket. You sign it. You walk through another door, and a man dressed as a doctor shakes your hand. Is he a real doctor? there aren't any degrees on the white walls and he doesn't tell you his name. All you have to do is press your palm right here. The machine is simple, sleek, white plastic with a black rectangle screen, smooth curves that look organic, and it's smaller than you'd imagined. You wonder if the whole thing is just an elaborate practical joke. Does it hurt? Doctor shakes his head. Not a bit. You hold your hand over the panel and your fingers tremble. 30 years gone in a moment. 30 years that you won't experience. Not the agonizing, dragging moments, but not the in-between moments either. Your hand drops to your side. Did you do it, I ask him? The doctor shakes his head and he taps his foot on the linoleum. Listen, there's a bit of a line. You can tell he's trying not to sound impatient. The thought of the check, of financial freedom unlike any you could ever hope for, looms large in your mind. You remind yourself that it's not a full 30 years. Without weekends and holidays, it's really just, what, over 20 years? Would you do it? It's perfectly safe. No, that's not what I asked. (sighs) I don't know. Well, how does it work?
3: Look, it's proprietary. I hate to rush you, but you can't stand here and dither around
4: all day. You make your choice. Outside, the man in the suit sips tepid water from a thin paper cup. His thinning hair is gone and there are lines on his face from expressions that he never saw. You're not sure you made the right decision, but that's life, and you walk out the door to live it. The End.
2: And for the last story of the night, we explore the mind of a man loses his love, loses his sanity, and then loses himself, and we watch it all as it happens.
4: Here we go with Driftwood by John Cleaworth. This is Driftwood by John Cleaworth. A vast barren expanse pockmarked with innumerable rocks and chunks of driftwood stretched out for miles before and behind him. He empathized with the driftwood and he was not entirely uncomfortable with the thought. In a way, it reassured him. At last, he had given up control of his life and opted to let fate direct him like the tides. A light breeze had evolved into a bluster and carried surface sand up the beach toward him like a ghostly cloud of gas. He was unaware of this. He looked neither forward, at the soulless sand, nor back at his dogging prints. He only looked downward, at his own footfalls. Occasionally his boots would crunch over multicolored pebbles, rounded by years of sea stroking but mostly he felt the soft yield of the golden sand. Though he looked down, his senses seemed intensified, strange that he should feel so alive today. The cliffs rose to his left, as if wishing to block the exit from the incoming tide, which insinuated in with coiling waves and hissing tongues. Directly ahead of him lay what looked like a large, latex, spearheaded glove with too many fingers. He stopped, bent forward to give it a closer inspection. A young, dead squid, motionless, rubbery and beginning to stink, like a lifeless fetus left out in the heat. His mind flashed back to Angelica. So pulsating in life, so frighteningly tragic in death. He and Angelica had planned to have a family in a couple years' time, but they'd bled her out with a razor to her throat, left her there for him to find on his own doorstep. All for her purse and the price of their latest fix. He'd gladly have given them a thousand times its worth just to have had them leave her alive. He kicked the squid to one side and walked on, desolate. Springtime was trying to force back the doors of winter with little success. The weather was changeable, shifting quicker than the tides. Brief, clear blue skies had given way to gray clouds, which were already succumbing to threats from ominous black thunderheads on the horizon. The growing chill in the air did not infiltrate Stockwell's body. His mind, his soul, seemed to have detached itself from his physical being, remaining attached only by the flimsiest thread. As he plodded on like a nomad in exile, he knew the one thing he still had control over in his life, and that was the power to end it. The sea edged closer, its sound growing louder, the smell more pungent. Stockwell, eyes downcast, walked on, boots crunching down on a razor shell. His hand, hidden deep in his right coat pocket, closed more tightly around the cutthroat razor. His thumb slid up and down the mother-of-pearl handle. It was as if his subconscious countdown to suicide had come to an abrupt halt. A seagull cried overhead, at once lonely, yet mocking. His eyes turned skyward to watch the bird as it wheeled and flapped like a kite with a severed string. And again he visualized the thread that held his soul to this sad, pathetic body, to this sick, cruel world. A year to the day, and the police still hadn't caught the bestial group who had terminated the life of his soulmate. He couldn't even weep now. He withdrew his hand from his pocket, closed his eyes, opened the lethal blade of the razor. He raised the live edge to his stubble-covered neck. A distant corner of his mind mused that he must have made a comical sight. Standing in the middle of a deserted beach, apparently ready to shave, the cold steel kissed the left side of his throat. In a moment, he would apply the requisite pressure to open the soft flesh, draw blood, and slice across the trachea. Then it would all be over, and the blissful release would envelop him. He pressed his hand steady as a rock, felt his lifeblood begin to seep from him. Now was the time to draw the blade sideways. A smile flickered across the corner of his lips for the first time in 12 months. And then he heard the moan. He froze, hand still gripping the razor, eyes closed. There it was again. "'just a few feet ahead. "'His eyes snapped open "'and focused on the origin of the sound. "'What his eyes conveyed to his brain "'left him stunned. "'There in front of him, "'surrounded by a circle of sandcastles, "'was a severed head. "'The severed head groaned. "'His blood ran cold "'as the eyes of the head rolled in his direction. "'Red-streaked eyes.' banded by gray black bags those eyes held pleading help me help me the voice was frightened hoarse strange thoughts reeled within Stockwell's brain how could this be Had his mind collapsed entirely? Who are you, he found himself, saying. Good God, not only am I hearing voices from a decapitated head, I'm entering into a conversation with it. He flopped to the ground, sitting cross-legged, staring at the bizarre head. From the cliff-top, secreted amidst the thick foliage of bushes, A figure lay belly down on the ground. The watcher's eyes moved over the scene unfolding on the beach. Sweat beaded on his brow. His heart thumped within his chest. This was not supposed to be happening. He had rehearsed this scenario so many times in his mind, had set the stage so very carefully with such utter precision. His prey looked so comically ridiculous. The video camera in the thicket beside him recorded every glorious moment, and now the whole climax was threatened. The beach was always deserted at this time in the morning. He had observed day in, day out, for months now. So who was this sad-looking stranger? Why was he walking on the beach? And what was he doing sitting beside his victim? apparently speaking. Please, I'm I'm Tony. Tony Meller. You got to help me. Stockwell closed his eyes, took a deep shuddering breath. The savage silver of the cutthroat still glistened in his hand. The eyes of the severed head rolled, white showing and fixed on the lethal weapon. "'Don't! Don't! Please don't hurt me!' The voice was filled with panic and fear. Stockwell's eyes snapped open, confused. He observed the terror etched into the features of the head. "'Hurt him? For Christ's sakes, it's a severed head, a dead head. How the hell can I hurt that any more than it's already been hurt?' bulbous black clouds had gathered overhead, as if curious about the scene unfolding on the beach below. The wind had picked up yet more pace, blowing the long, lank black hair of the head this way and that. A devastating thought skewered itself into Stockwell's brain. This can't be happening. No matter how much I try to make sense of it, it just can't be happening. The head's not there. I'm seeing visions, hearing voices. No, no. I finally lost my mind Is what's happening to me. A teardrop of blood trickled from the neck in Stockwell's neck, reminding him of the razor that nestled in his grip, snug as a lover's hand. What are you going to do? What? are you going to do?' "'I can't, won't,' answer. "'Stockwell's heart battered away in his breast. "'Sweat leaked from every pore, "'joined by droplets of rain "'as the gravid clouds finally gave way. "'Words invaded his brain "'in a now endless stream from the severed head, "'but the words held no meaning. "'May as well have been in a foreign language.' He thought, I've got to get away from this thing. Stockwell scrambled to his feet, held the razor now to his wrist and began to run and cut, run and cut. The screams of the head named Meller ringing in his ears. The watcher lounged in a soft armchair in the warmth and comfort of his own front room a log fire roared eagerly in the Victorian fireplace. In his left hand, he held a tumbler of golden liquid, his finest malt whiskey. One tumbler full was already pleasantly heating the inside of his belly. In his right hand was the remote handset for his video. His index digit gently stroked the play button like a trigger finger on a Kalashnikov. The television screen crackled with static. Now, in a moment, he would depress the play button yet again and savor the details of the treasured video recording of his piece de resistance. He turned to his companion in the other armchair, smiling, and he said, well... Let's gorge ourselves upon the magnificent event once more, my friend. He activated the video without waiting for Stockwell to reply. The watcher gazed greedily at the flickering images of the incoming tide and the wild, shaking head. He happily absorbed the sounds of frenzied screaming that emitted from the junkie who had slaughtered his wife, slashing her throat for a few bucks where the justice system had failed. He raised his glass to his lips. Cheers, I'll enjoy watching you drown a million times. The twin lights of madness and passion danced in his eyes. He had spoken to Stockwell only briefly as he had run from the beach before collapsing. He would have liked to have known him longer They had their grief in common, but it was too late. Stockwell stared at the screen, his eyes glassy. Blackened blood encrusted the dried-up gashes on his wrist. His skin, cold and pale. His body, statuesque. The effects of rigor mortis had stiffened all his sinews days before. Yet... The watcher was sure he detected the ghost of a smile on his lifeless face. The end.
2: Well, there you go. Another trip to Planet Rack on tour. On behalf of myself, our two fine raconteurs Papa Dave and Bobby Anthem we would like to thank you for listening once again all of the stories presented on Planet Tour are used by permission or are in the public domain check out the show notes for details on the authors their websites and their other releases and if you like what we are doing please subscribe and follow us on all of our social media platforms the links will be found in those same show notes much love and thank you again for visiting the Planet tour.